Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. G'day, guys. How are you going? Uh, one quick thing before I say anything else is for some reason, my email address for this podcast i've had an issue with it and i don't really understand what's going on at the moment but basically i did a test email from my main email my main private email and it would not go through it like it, it sent like it it should have gone um spent about 10 minutes mucking around with it looking everywhere looking for it didn't go through i sent three messages in that time nothing went through so i sent another email from a different email address from my business email and it went through immediately so and they still haven't come through till now so i don't know what's going on with that it's a it's not a some weirdo email or anything like that it's a a proper um, company that i deal with for that email so basically the long and the short of it is if you have sent me an email and you haven't had a reply within seven days then i didn't get it so um, i've absolutely 100 percent replied to every email i've gotten even if it was just a, a one line response i've replied to everything so if you've emailed me and nothing and you didn't hear anything back send it again from a different email address and um put down like you know, the the provider that uh, your first email went through on just so i can try and get a list if it's more than one so anyway um yeah so send it from another address and you know and we'll go from there so okay now um look it's been a minute since i dropped an episode so whilst i'm you know i'm, I'm, I'm going to explain my absence i'm not really going to apologize for it because you know it's yeah, if you don't have the time, you just don't have the time. And just quietly, if you're not interested in hearing my update or my explanation on the last little while, just fast forward through, you know, for a few minutes and, you know, you'll get to the start of the episode. Um, I mean, I've mentioned before that I, I prefer to get one episode out per week. It's unfortunately just not practical all the time. Um, I do enjoy doing these podcasts, but, you know, not when I'm staying up until midnight editing on a Sunday night, so... You know, work again has been the main reason I've been pumped out any episodes. And even though I'm slowing down a little bit work-wise, um, if the work's there, I should be making every effort to take advantage of the availability whilst it actually lasts, you know. Things will get quieter, but, you know, it's just taken a bit. Um, so, you know, there was a couple of weekends where I worked on a Saturday. It was, you know, usually only a half day or, you know, maybe even less than that, but it just throws the whole weekend out. And there was one weekend where I got my work band serviced and that was basically half of a, a day as well, more or less. So anyway, that's the why. Um, quick shout out to New Zealand and the Czech Republic. Thanks for joining the podcast, guys. Uh, anywho, uh, getting back to the reason why we're here, I thought I'd do an interesting and thought-provoking episode 
as a way to slide back into the pod with my third science fact. And that probably sounds a bit weird doing a science fact where aliens is in the title, but um, this week's episode is on aliens slash other species of intelligent life. And I'm phrasing it specifically like that for a reason. Uh, So let's look at some terminology so we're all on the same page. And, and, And the definition of alien. Um, There are a whole bunch of different definitions of the word alien, but most of them are relating to other things. Uh, So the definition I like for the purpose of this podcast is, one, differing in nature or character, typically to the point of incompatibility. That was probably the closest to the point I wanted to make, which is, in some respects, intelligent life from somewhere other than Earth uh, may not actually be, you know, quote-unquote, alien. Many descriptions of, you know, so-called aliens have been reported as humanoid or human-like in that they, you know, they have a head, they have two eyes, they have two hands, two feet, etc. That particular configuration of body parts is not alien to us at all. Now, before I go too far into this, I should probably explain my position on the topic. Um, I'm not in any way a conspiracy theorist. I believe in the mutable laws of science, and and that'll be the perspective I take today on this episode. So let's just forget about proof for a minute and and focus on the maths. Okay, so scientists, astrophysicists, they all tried to estimate the size of the universe, and different people have come up with different numbers and different ways of looking at it. So basically, the, the universe is made up of galaxies, and our galaxy is the Milky Way galaxy. You've probably heard that. Now, depending on who you listen to, and I've, you know, I've heard some crazy big numbers thrown out there with regard to the number of galaxies that exist in the universe. And these are numbers like 100 million billion, 200 million billion, 500 million billion galaxies. Okay, so right, let, you know, let's put that into perspective. Our Milky Way galaxy consists of a whole bunch of solar systems. And our solar system is made up of our sun and the eight planets that orbit. Or, you know, nine planets if you give Pluto the credit. Now, think about the the jillions upon jillions of planets just in our Milky Way galaxy. Now, immediately, we're going to eliminate 99% of those planets and suggest that they wouldn't be able to support life as we know. Right, straight away, gone. Okay, so now, you know, this is just the assertion that we're making for the point of the exercise, right? So now we're left with 1% of the planets, which, you know, whatever enormous number that still might be, that 1% is still a pretty huge number, right? So let's take that number of planets and eliminate 99% of those planets and just assume they also wouldn't support life as we know it. Okay, so now we've eliminated 99% of that last 1% and we're left with whatever number that is. Now, if we assume that intelligent life does actually exist on that last 1% of 1% of planets, there would literally be millions of civilizations in our galaxy alone, completely forgetting about the possibility of the 500 million billion other galaxies that are out there. And spoiler alert, in our own Milky Way galaxy, there are around 40 billion planets that we know of that could support life. So that's that's a million 
40,000 times. That's how many planets could support life. That's what we that's what we already know or you know what the scientists tell us. So in that perspective, it doesn't seem unlikely at all to me that there would definitely be other civilizations out there. You know, many people believe it and I include myself in this group that the first microbes of life on Earth were deposited on the back of meteorites that crashed into the planet. You know, from those first microbes of life, evolution began. Now, my point is, meteorites have been crashing into planets for millennia before planet Earth even existed. It makes complete sense to me that much older planets and planets much further away were also struck with deposits of life. So, you know, in broad terms, life can't exist without light, oxygen and water, with light being the focus for me at the moment. Right? In our galaxy, the Milky Way, the average sun or star is 2 billion years older than ours. That means life elsewhere could have potentially had, on average, had 2 billion years of head start on us. We, we can't even imagine that as humans. I mean, just a few hundred years ago, we had no fucking idea what we were doing. I actually looked up happenings of significance in the year 1723, 300 years ago, and of all the things listed, there wasn't one thing that happened globally that was, you know, of the slightest bit of interest or, you know, real significance from my perspective. I mean, there are definitely, you know, happenings of significance. I don't know where I got that term from, but that's what I've come up with. You know, things were definitely happening of, you know, things of significance 300 years ago, but a big deal was the opening of an opera. So, you know, imagining 300 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years in the future. We can't even imagine that, let alone 2 billion years. So, mathematically speaking, using only the laws of numbers, aliens, if, if that's what you want to call them, must absolutely exist and exist in large numbers and different species. The sheer size of the universe makes the existence of other intelligent life absolute, in my opinion. It's not mathematically improbable that we're the only ones out there. It's actually mathematically impossible. Being the only intelligent life in the universe is just about as likely as shooting an arrow and hitting a bullseye on Jupiter, right? So that was pretty easy, right? We've solved the question whether or not we're alone in the universe. It didn't even take that much time. Now, I think we can all acknowledge that there are definitely nut jobs out there with crazy stories of aliens and UFOs, alien abductions, etc. But there are also plenty of stories from people who have everything to lose and four-fifths of bugger all to gain by telling their stories and experiences. And hey, just a side note, just you know, getting into that sort of genre. Has anyone watched that show Finding Bigfoot? I've watched probably five half episodes. I can't think I've watched a full one. I don't think I can. Um, but I've come up with a way better name for the show. Instead of Finding Bigfoot, you know what they should call it? They should call it Not Finding Bigfoot because they do that every episode. As soon as the show starts, you already know they won't be finding Bigfoot because it would have made global news long before that episode or you know whatever show it is that it came out on. Anyway, I feel like I'm digressing somewhat. So now, um, if you want to do a bit of research yourself and um, you know on, on this sort of alien UFO kind of topic, uh, look at a guy named. Bob Lazar. I'm going to talk a little bit about him today, and I'm also going to talk a little bit about um, a piece of, uh, well, an element really 
that Bob Lazar claimed existed back in 1989, and it was only proven in 2003. So interesting how this guy could know that, right? Okay, so Bob Lazar, or Robert Lazar, I think his middle name's Scott, if you need to look it up, but if you put in Bob Lazar in any search engine, like just a, a shitload of stuff will come up on him, right? Okay, so Bob Lazar, he's a physicist, and he apparently worked at S4, which is a top-secret base in the US, aligned with the infamous Area 51 at Groom Lake. Right, so now he, amongst others, have been for decades apparently working on spacecraft built by another species, non-Earth-built technology. And, you know, and they've been desperately trying to back or reverse engineer that technology. You know, for obvious reasons, security is insane at a top secret base like that. So nobody, you know, contracted to work there. They're not allowed to talk with anyone else that works there unless they're within their tiny little group of scientists or engineers. And, and they were always very small groups. So nobody could discuss what they were working on. Everything was very compartmentalized, right? No, obviously, the government doesn't want any one person knowing more than they have to know on this sort of top secret kind of gear. Right, so uh, now Lazar, he was tasked with reverse engineering the anti-gravity propulsion system. And since then, decades later, despite the apparent efforts of the US government to completely discredit Lazar, most people now, you know, they're starting to believe the story which he's saying, which is astonishing. You know, it's absolutely amazing, the, the stuff that he's thrown out there. Now, it should be pointed out, I guess, that, you know, <laughs> Some of the so-called evidence that Lazar spoke about seemed like complete and utter science fiction or you know, even nonsense at the time. But as the decades rolled on, more and more of what he said has actually been found to be factual, including a super heavy element named element 115, 115, uh, which is apparently the fuel to power the anti-gravity propulsion system used in these non-terrestrial flying craft that the US government apparently has possession of. Now, Lazar made a lot of claims, but element 115, which was only discovered in 2003, is probably one of the biggest. Um, you know, Lazar came out about working for the US Air Force in 1989 and, and spilling all these secrets in the hope that it would prevent him from, you know, simply disappearing in mysterious circumstances. So if Element 115 was discovered in 2003, then how was Lazar able to talk about it in detail in 1989, 30-plus years before its discovery, or should I say before human discovery? So with Element 115 being, you know, an enigma of sorts, I mean, it's a pretty amazing element if we could only produce it with the right kind of stable isotope, then I guess the sky wouldn't be the limit. Um, you know, we'd be able to go out and explore and build craft that, that did all that sort of stuff. It was only added to the periodic table in 2016, yet for decades it's always attracted this extra attention because of this supposed connection to extraterrestrial technology. Element 115, or Moscovium, is a man-made super-heavy element that has 115 protons in its nucleus. And as with all elements on the periodic table, the element's number corresponds directly to the number of protons in the nucleus of the element's atom. Okay, That is 23 more protons than the heaviest element that you can find in large quantities on Earth, which is uranium. 
Now, it's thought that element 115 is an extremely rare element that's made one atom at a time in particle accelerators. Now, it only exists for a fraction of a second before it starts to decay, and it decays into another element, which is element 113. And it goes down by two for a reason. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, now, it has a, 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 it's quite special because it has what's called um, a near-predicted island of stability where some super heavy nuclei might have longer lifetimes or half-life. So instead of existing for less than a second, they could exist for minutes, days, or even years. And that is long enough at that point, you know, we could you know, use them for, for practical applications. Now, how was Muscovium created? Well, Moscovium, or element 115, was discovered in 2003 in Dubna, Russia, at the Flerov Laboratory for Nuclear Reactions by... Um, there was a, it was a group of scientists, but I, I believe they were Russian and American scientists. And the, the head physicist was Yuri someone, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, the element was eventually named Moscovium because Dubna is a city in Moscow. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, by the way. Um, and anyway, to make this element, what the scientists did was they accelerated ions of something called calcium-48, and they accelerated that to, let me quickly do the math in my head, um, 30,000 kilometers per second, which is about 10% the speed of light, which is what you know, the term they said, um, and then they bombarded with something called americium-243 with, you know, and, and collided them in this particle accelerator. Now, through this bombardment of, um, of particles, they were able to successfully fuse the nuclei of an americium-243 and the atoms of the calcium-48. So to create this super heavy element, you need to complete fusion of two lighter elements. You know, not, not super easy, not something you're going to be doing in your workshop at home with a hammer, right? So this whole process, it, it actually produced four atoms of Moscovium. And that, that new element that you know they made had 115 proteins, and 20 of them came from the, the calcium-48, and 95 of them came from the americium-243. So this new element was then separated from, um, from all the other reaction products using the, the Dubna gas field recoil separator and then implanted into a detector where scientists were able to, to literally watch the, the element 115 decay into element 113. Right, so I'll get a bit sciencey here, but it's only going to be for a second, so you know, just bear with me. Um, it, it, this is this is over my head as well, right? So, you know, th this is really out there, but it, it, it would be remiss of me not to at least mention it, okay? So, the internal structure of the 115 nuclei, it, we, you know, with odd numbers of protons and neutrons, you know, it, it basically, it largely prevents spontaneous fission. So it, it, it is likely that the nucleus will undergo alpha decay, right? And alpha decay is a type of radioactive decay where an unstable nucleus changes into another element by emitting a particle composed of two protons and two neutrons, right? So emission of an alpha particle forms an odd, odd nucleus of the element 113, and for the same reason, you know, will undergo alpha decay. And, and this decay pattern is reproduced with element 111, then 109, and so on. So this, you know, each step of this sort of odd, odd stairway will decrease the atomic number of that nucleus by two, 
right? So as a result, the nucleus becomes more stable to alpha decay, but more prone to spontaneous fission. And eventually that chain will be terminated by spontaneous fission, right? And it took years for researchers to work out some of those details, you know, about moscovium element 115. And in fact, it wasn't until uh, 2018 that scientists in, in a Berkeley lab um, they figured out that the element's mass or atomic weight was 288, right? And, and the atomic weight is, that's the total number of protons and neutrons in an atom. And, you know, to, to obtain this very important number, they repeated the process that the first discoverers used to actually pin down the element in the first place. So in doing so, they managed to produce roughly, <clears throat> excuse me, they, they managed to produce roughly one atom of Moscovium per day. Unfortunately, so far, Moscovium doesn't have a, a practical use outside of scientific study. But, you know, in time, who knows? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right. So, so what is this connection with Element 115 and, and this alien connection? Where, where is that all coming from, right? Okay, so Element 115, it, it was only discovered in, in 2003. Um, and, yeah, but it might sound familiar because it's been around for decades, you know, in, in, in um, UFO kind of circles, you know, uh, connections with aliens, that sort of stuff, related phenomena. Um, you know, so and and you know, obviously the the long story of of Bob Lazar, right? Um, Nineteen eighty nine, he went public, told all these secrets about the top secret information, and and that included Element One One Five. 
Right, so Lazar, he basically claimed to be a, a former employee at Area 51. Um, that's the famous and extremely classified area of the Nevada Test and Training Range operated by the United States Air Force. And his job was to reverse engineer um, the propulsion system, apparently from flying saucers, right? alien spacecraft. Now, he said that he's personally worked with Element 115, um, which was used to pilot alien craft. And it, he, he believes that it's currently impossible to synthesize an element that heavy here on Earth. You know, the substance has to come from a place where super heavy elements would, um, where, you know, they've been produced naturally. You know, that, that's according to Lazar. Um, but, you know, who knows? We get better at doing stuff all the time. We're always advancing. So who knows what the future might bring in, in that regard, right? So anyway... Um, so basically, Lazar said that he'd seen evidence of anti-gravity propulsion technologies. Um, he's seen nine alien spacecraft stored in a car- uh, sorry, stored in a hangar at Area Fifty One, and, and apparently those spaceships used the same sort of propulsion system that harnessed that that anti-gravity, and uh, also utilised the same characteristics of Element One Fifteen to work with that technology. And as some sources have pointed out, the, the general gist of what he's claiming, it, it's never been um, disproven. And, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a pretty shitty way of saying that um, it seems like he's telling the truth. You know, they tried, they really, really tried to discredit him and, and, you know, make up all sorts of stuff about him, pull records of him, all sorts of things happened. Yet, you know, there still is this fundamental science, you know, contradicting his claims in some respects. Um, basically, we're hampered by our own lack of understanding. And, and this technology, for all intents and purposes, it might as well, from our understanding of science now, it might as well be magic. It's, it's that far ahead of us, right? We just don't understand it. And... Um, Bob Lazar, in this interview, um, I heard him say, like he had this great analogy, um, like if you went back in time with a Harley Davidson, um, I don't know what he, I can't remember the year, but you know, if you went back, say, four or five hundred years and just dropped a Harley Davidson there, you know, people would come out, they'd touch it, they'd feel it, they'd, you know, realise that stuff moves on it um, and eventually someone will turn the key and, and start it up. You know, they might crash it a bunch of times, but eventually, you know, if they spend enough time, they'll work out how that that motorbike works and they'll be able to ride it, you know. It'll take a while, but they'll work it out. But when that, when the petrol runs out, when the fuel runs out and it doesn't go anymore, they will have no understanding whatsoever as to why it just suddenly stopped working. You know, they, they, they can't understand the science of it. Um, and, and, you know, think of it this way. They couldn't even reproduce the plastic fender on that motorbike, right? Or on a motorbike. I'm not sure Harley's have any plastic fenders. But my point is, or, you know, rather his point was that just because we have apparently got this technology, or the US government does, probably other governments around the world as well, but just because they have it, just because they can work it, and because they can turn it on and off, that doesn't mean they understand it. It doesn't mean they can reproduce it, okay? So um, there's a big difference to flipping a switch and turning something on and understanding what's happening when you flip that switch. So 
Anyway, it, it is ridiculously ahead of us, you know? Anyway, now presently, all, all the created atoms of element 115 have decayed away too fast to be used to fuel, you know, anything as, as we know it. So instead of, you know, all the excitement about aliens, you know, and, and incredible spacecraft, we're kind of left with this, um, yeah, it's kind of like this thrilling idea of, of, of what science could be, right? So for, for the people that kind of immerse themselves in this kind of thing, be it, you know, conspiracy theories, I actually listen to some conspiracy theory um, podcasts only because, not because I believe the conspiracy, but I do find them quite interesting. And um, and every now and then there's one that's pretty funny. But, um, you know, if, if that's your thing, if you're into that sort of stuff, well, you know, no judgment. Everyone has the right to believe whatever they want, you know, and, and a lot of probably what you might believe, I might believe as well. Who knows? There's definitely going to be some crossover. So um, if, if that's what you're really into, um, those kind of uh, you know, advances in, in tech and all that sort of stuff, um, hopefully I've given you a little bit to, to sort of look into you'll, you'll definitely find other podcasts but if you, you know if you google some of this stuff it, like it'll be more than you can handle it'll be so much information right so now um so you know having said all that moscovium is an amazing element and element 115 slash moscovium whatever you want to call it it is special you know in, in that we can make it it's actually easier to produce it than some lighter elements like element 112 or element 113 weirdly enough um, and it, because typically when we add more protons, it becomes more difficult to make a new element. But apparently this trend stops working around um, element 115, which is very unusual. Anyway, due to this, um, we've been able to make, when I say we, obviously I wasn't involved, but you know we've been able to make over 100 atoms of element 115 and begin to understand its nuclear and, and its chemical properties, which you know, is amazing. Right? So when Lazar first came forward in 1989, he made a point to explain that there's no reason that a version of element 115 couldn't be synthesized and observed at some point in the future. In fact, he predicted that it would be observed, as, as many people did, um, just likely not in a stabilised form because of the, you know, the statistical improbability of landing on, on a relevant isotope, right? So the isotope discovered in 2003 is not the isotope that would account for what Lazar has described having access to while working on um, alien craft at, at Area 51 or S4. Um, you know, Lazar reports that element 115, he, the, the one he had access to was far more stable. And, you know, and, and my understanding of Lazar's thinking is that with the advances in, you know, bombardment technology, new isotope combinations would be achieved. However, just like gold has 37 different isotopes and only one isotope is stable, 115 is suspected to have mostly rapid decay isotopes. So hopefully in the future, we will land on a version with a, a longer half-life, even if it ends up just being a few atoms of it, that would be pretty damn cool. And one day, it will likely happen. 
So, you know, now I, I could bang on about Bob Lazar for hours, but just to whet your appetite on this topic a little bit, some of the things that Bob Lazar claims, you know, like he, he's personally claims to seen with his own eyes nine different shaped spacecraft, all UFO kind of um, things. Um, apparently all of them used Element 115 in their propulsion systems and indeed had identical propulsion systems. So I, I don't know what that actually means. Were they all from the one um, species of alien or have all these aliens had contact in the past and this is just the most efficient version? They all kind of use, you know, like the same engine kind of thing. Um, who knows? Anyway, uh, he, he saw these craft in flight and he had the flight schedules when they would be testing these craft. And when he was kind of on the outs and he didn't think he was going to get his job back, he even brought friends out at night to watch these test flights. And I mean, obviously that's a huge violation, right? And, you know, and they did this from, from miles away under the cover of darkness. Obviously it was the cover of darkness because that's when the flights were themselves, obviously. Um, you know, what he doesn't know for sure is how um, the craft were obtained. There's a few different theories uh, where they recovered from crashes. Well, you know, my opinion is that seems unlikely given that eight of them were apparently perfectly intact and the one that wasn't was kind of tilted up on its side and it had what looked like a big missile hole in it. So was that one shot down? Well, that's unlikely as well. Uh, more likely, it was a test to see if it was possible just to punch a hole in it with a missile. But um, when it's running, when it's using this artificial anti-gravity field that it's creating, it, um, my understanding is that that anti-gravity field basically works as a shield. So if you shot a missile at it when it was in flight, it just would bounce off or it would explode and do no damage or whatever, you know. It wouldn't penetrate that field. So anyway, the other theory is that they were just gifted by the original owners, right? That's a possibility. There are conspiracy theories galore about aliens presenting representatives of Earth, i.e., you know, the US military with technological gifts, physical physical items like these flying craft, but also information. There are things like Velcro, fiber optic wiring, transistors, and, and a whole bunch of other electronic components and stuff that have said to come directly from information shared by these alien species. One or more of them, I don't know. Um, now, another theory is that these craft were found. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, I've heard a lot of stuff from Lazar, but <clears throat> this, this I've only ever heard from him once. And... What he said was that um, he thinks possibly, potentially, that one or more of these craft may have been found in an archaeological dig, but he's not sure about that, right? Um, I, I, it might have been something that he heard in rumor form. Maybe it was deliberate misinformation, you know, but who knows? Anyway, I won't be losing any sleep over this. It's, it's a fun and interesting topic, mainly because of the rumours and conspiracies, but also what the future might hold in terms of our own advancement and our own development. Not all scientists agree, but I think the general consensus is that any species that can technologically evolve to the point where they can go out and explore the universe, they sort of need to shed the very human trait of violence. Right, So the idea that we'll be invaded or attacked by aliens in the future 
it, it does seem less likely than them simply wanting to have a relationship with our species and you know potentially help us grow and evolve and develop um, perhaps they could assist with climate change or in any other number of ways you know medicine um, you know it, other ways that we can't even concede at the moment now it, it is possible that there are or is predatory species out there but from a technological standpoint it would be like the US military going to war with a fire ant colony you know what's the point you know would those aliens be high-fiving or maybe maybe they'd be high-sixing each other for you know destroying a species that posed no threat and was so technologically juvenile in comparison would serve zero purpose hmm? I don't know it, it seems kind of pointless you know um the only way I see the human race under threat from an alien civilization is if we engage them and we have dialogue with them and we somehow try to, you know, fuck them over or we fuck it up by insulting them or conspiring against them or stealing from them and getting caught doing it. Basically our own stupid fault. That'd piss them off, um, you know, obviously. And another scenario would be if they wanted or, or they possibly needed our planet. But again, with, you know, with the abundance of planets out there, wouldn't they rather start with a nice clean planet in, instead of the you know the dirty polluted shit show that is planet Earth? I mean, who knows? I mean, oof, there there may be something extremely unique about our planet that we aren't even aware of. You know, something that makes it more desirable to the to the point where aliens would you know covet such a unique planet. One thing's for sure: there seems to be a movement now where governments around the world are starting to acknowledge that there there are flying craft. You know, flying around in inside of Earth's atmosphere, and and also seen going into and out of our oceans, and and that we have little to no knowledge of these things, or you know, even less ability to prevent their access to our planet. So whether you believe, whether you don't believe, whether you're on the fence, it, it's a topic of discussion that's fascinated us for centuries. You know, there's cave paintings from thousands of years ago where that you see ufos that they've they've drawn in caves um there's religious paintings with ufos in them all sorts of stuff right this has been going on for um, millennia and you know and one of my biggest hopes is that one day i will learn the truth um you know during my very limited stay on our fair planet um yeah curiosity is high so until next episode keep your eyes on the skies Thanks for listening. Thanks again for the support. Um, if you have the time to rate and review, I'd love that. And of course, you know, please share the pod with your friends and your family, your, your friends at school, your classmates. Oh, I guess they're also your friends at school. Um, anyone, you know, if you think they, you know, uh, oh, co-workers. Yeah. Um, if you think they can get some value out of the episode or if you think they might just be interested in the podcast content in general, you know, just send it to them, give it to them. Take their phone off them, search for it, find it, lock it in, follow, easy. They'll probably get pissed off about it, but who knows? Maybe not. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, um, you can share a link on your socials. That would definitely help me out. And you know, and if you want, you can email me at any time if you've got any episode suggestions. Um, go back to the very start of this episode if you want to get you know a replay of what I said about that email not working. If you don't get a reply from me, I didn't get it 100% of the time. I will be responding. Um, it, it's not difficult at the moment because I just don't get enough emails where it's gonna you know if I was getting dozens of emails every day. Well, yeah, that, that would be difficult to reply. But um, there is not 
been one time where I haven't responded in under seven days. I think five or six days was the longest. So if you've emailed me and had zero reply, then I haven't got it. Resend it to me from a different address and, and tell me what um, email you originally sent it from because I might have to actually change the podcast email address if I can't work out what's going on. I haven't put any weird settings in. I don't get it. But all I can tell you is that when I did a test email from one of my emails, it didn't go through. I sent it three times, didn't go through. Um, sent one from my work email, went through You know, as quickly as I could flick over to the tab it was there. Um, yeah, so you know, email me away, email, 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 just email. Um, yeah, obviously I won't be offended. Um, and even if I don't agree with what you're saying, um, I'm not gonna be offended. You, know, you're, you have the right to your opinion and I value the opinion of, of everyone, especially my listeners. So don't ever be concerned with emailing your thoughts to me, whatever is on your mind, tell me. I will listen um, and I'll definitely respond. Even if it's just a thank you or whatever, I will definitely respond. Okay, so um, the email address currently as it stands is improvemepodcast at outlook.com and as always, try to take my blood type and be positive. Now, because we live in a litigious world where some people refuse to take responsibility for their own actions and are always looking for someone else to blame, I'm forced to remind you that this podcast is for knowledge and entertainment purposes only. Always consult a qualified professional before taking any health, psychological, pharmaceutical, mental or physical advice. Never rely on information from a podcast. 